And um, so I want to speak to us tonight, tonight about our sonship. Um, we had an interesting chat about this at lunch. Um, when I say sonship, I'm saying everyone is included. Um, so if I talk about being a son of God or being in sonship, I'm being all-inclusive. And I'll tell you why. It's because men, we have to be in the bride of Christ. Okay? So it's all-inclusive. There's no, for me, it's not, a, it's not a gender thing. It's an inclusivity thing. It's a family thing. And, and once we're in God's family, we are in. Okay, so I want to speak to us tonight about something which you, you might have heard before, and it might sound like a bit of a, a spiritualized term, but it's called the spirit of adoption. Um, and the spirit of adoption is something really beautiful that happens when we give our lives to Jesus. Um, basically what happens is there's a, there's a transaction that happens in the spirit, but it's actually basically a legal transaction where we basically become part of God and he becomes part of us because the Bible says that he who is in Christ is a new creation. And so it's all a part of this, this spirit of adoption as it comes into our being and as, and as something goes out from us, we, we are literally adopted into the family of God. And so if you have your Bible, do you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 8? Um, I'm not there because I got excited during worship. Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to read from verse 14 to 16. It says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Amen. Um, Just as it was introduced at the beginning, um, my name is Jonathan. I'm here with my wife, Karita, although she's not physically here, and my two children, Noah and Jessica, they are legends, all three of them. I have an amazing family. We call ourselves Team McCreary, and um, we, uh, we live in this place called South Africa, although you, no, sorry, we live in this place called Live Village in South Africa. I'm sure you've all heard of South Africa before. <laughs> if you haven't, just have a good look on a map or revisit your geography GCSE. Um, we live in this place called Live Village. And it was a vision that was given to a man called Titch Smith. We call him Baba Smith or Mkulu, which means father or granddad in Zulu, um, because that's the language that is spoken in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, and we have gathered together around this vision which God gave to Titch in 1997. In 1997, I was very young. I only turned 30 this year. But in 1997, God gave Titch this vision for a village to be built, a place where the vulnerable and orphan children of South Africa could come and know that they have a Father in heaven who loves them, that it would be along the basis of rescue, restore, raise, and release. And um, I, I didn't know this at the time, but my, my spiritual orphan, because I, I don't know if you know this, but we, we all get adopted into God's family, but many of us are still behaving like orphans. Sorry, this is your first bomb. Many of us are still behaving like we're orphans. We're behaving like we don't have a father. And this place, live. I, I, I recognized only, only a couple of years after I actually went that in many, many aspects, and still to this day, that there is an outworking of my sonship. There was, a, there was an orphan 
spirits that I had about me that actually God might, the, the, the attraction. So let's just think, if you feel like deep attraction and, and deep desire to see social justice or a specific area, often actually what God is doing is he's wanting to highlight in us the brokenness that we carry and we actually want to go and help that same brokenness. I don't know if you've ever found that. We have it all the time on the village. So many people come with an orphan spirit to come and help the orphan children. And then they're the ones who realize they receive from the kids. The kids don't receive from them. Because the kids, even though they have a worldly term of being an orphan, they're not spiritual orphans. Why? Because they came into a place where they know they have a father in heaven who loves them. And so that's actually my job. My job is literally to, I mean, Asher was with us for six months, so he's going to be sick of this. But I literally told him and the other 20 um, discipleship school students for six months who they were in God, how Jesus sees them, who they are as a son, who they are as a daughter, what their giftings are, how they explore that stuff, how do you develop character and your giftings. But that's basically what my job is. And, and my wife and I, we have the greatest privilege alongside another couple to um, to actually be stewards of the entire community on the village of staff, mums, children. And it's, and it's such an amazing thing. It is such an amazing privilege. Um, the thing that I've realized with being at the village is that there's a specific place set out there in Durban where children can come to know they have a father in heaven who loves them. But the thing that I came to this realization was we all gathered around trying to bring restoration to the children, but really what it was was the father was gathering us all around so he could bring restoration to us all. And no matter where I go, um, so whether I've gone to um, share in, in some of South Africa's top private schools, this thing about the orphan spirit is real. When I go to different churches and share, this thing about the orphan spirit is real. And so as soon as I start to say that, if your ears start to shut down and you're excluding yourself, you probably need to listen more than everyone else. Because there's something that God has, has put on Live Village, which now those of us who are there, we believe that we carry. And what we want to do is share that same blessing of coming into a place where we understand more and more and more and more and more that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. Now, I said this to Paul Swan this morning. He said, if you can show me it in the Bible, I'll believe you. He was just joking. But to me, the kingdom of God is like an onion. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you're listening. To me, the kingdom of God is like an onion, and I'll tell you why. It's because with an onion, the first thing that you need to do when you want to cook an onion is you need to cut off the roots. What's the first thing that happens when you cut off a root? Right? You have a little tear. It's a bit of pain. When we cut things off in our lives that have deep roots that are not healthy for us, they make us in, they, 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 they bring about pain, Right? And then you, you peel off the skin of the onion and then you have the first layer of the onion and you think, okay, great, let me take off the first layer. And that's kind of how God deals with us is that he will cut off roots and then he'll take us through one layer and then we're like, hey, I've completed that part. I've dealt with pride. And then six months later, he's like, hmm, layer two. And you're like, oh no. Six months later again, I've dealt with pride. I'm all good. There's nothing wrong with me. I am doing really well with this pride stuff, which if you say that, obviously that's not really a good teller for you. <laughs> and this is what I've found is that with our sonship, with understanding who we are as children of God, it comes in layers. And different layers speak to different moments. I'm going to share some of my own stories tonight about some of my brokenness, which God's been helping me work through. Um, and I share it 
um, not to make me look great, but actually to just be transparent, vulnerable, and to say, if we're going to be family tonight, and we want to be real, and I want you guys to walk into a new inheritance, and actually I need to be able to share that kind of stuff with you. Is that all right? Great. If you don't smile, you know what's going to happen, so please, is that okay with you? Yeah. Okay, great. Next one is the headstand. Um, so, I'm just, that was a joke. That was a joke. It's standing on chairs. Um, so, I just want to go through a story that we're actually all going to be super familiar with. We've probably been overchurched by it. Um, and I'll tell you why I think we've been overchurched by it. It's a story of the prodigal son, which I actually don't think is a good way to name the story because it's actually not really about the sons, it's about the waiting father. But basically, I want you to imagine that there is a home and there is a father and he's a good father and he's got every resource that he needs for, for not just him but for all of his children. He's got safety, security, there's an identity that the, everyone in the house has that they are able to live in together and it's the father's greatest desire that everyone in his household would understand the role, the purpose, the identity and their, their yeah, just the, the very essence of what it means to be in family. His desire is to see that thing established. And then one day, one of his sons comes to him and he says, Dad, it's basically what he says, I wish you were dead. I want to take what is mine, my inheritance. I want to take it early because whatever you think is good for me, I don't think is good for me. So I'm going to go and take it myself and I'm going to make my own life. And the father says... You know, and this is a reflection of God as a father. Do you know how risky God is with us? Like that he loves us enough to let us make our own choices and he'll still go and rescue us when it's terrible. Anyway, that was a side note. So the father says, do you think the father didn't know what was going to happen to this boy? Of course he knew. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him. But still, he loved him enough to give him the freedom to make that choice to go and be and, and to go and do exactly as he wanted to do. So he released the son. He said, you know what? There it is. Take it, son. Go and do what you want. And the Bible says that as he left, the, the, the son squandered his wealth on wild living. We could put some party music on and we can... I'm joking. Um, but the, as this... This son started to live the life that he thought would truly give him life, but really was leading him into another place. As he started to do that, what he didn't understand was um, he was starting to work something in himself, which was his brokenness, which he actually didn't realize that he carried until he found himself in the pigs, with the pigs, looking at the food that they were eating and longing for it himself. The Bible says that he came to his senses and he thought, even if I was a slave, even if I was a slave in my father's house, surely it would be better than this. So he said, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to say sorry to dad. I'm going to try and make things better. And even if I end up a slave, at least I'm going to have food to eat. Because that's going to be better than looking at what the pigs are eating. So he makes his, makes, starts to make his journey home. The waiting father is watching from afar. Waiting because he knows He's like, hey, listen, you can go and you can go for a while, but I know that you're going to need me in the end. So when you come, I'm going to be watching for when you come because I'm not just going to wait for you to feel like you need to come to the gate and enter in sheepishly. I'm going to come in and meet you courageously because that's what my love is about. So the father runs, which is actually like, there wasn't a very dignified thing to do in those days. The father runs out 
of the house and runs towards his son and he embraces him. And the son's about to speak to him. The father doesn't, let him even, doesn't even let him get out his full sentence. He's like, do you know what? You're here. And he gives him a robe and he puts a new ring on him and he, and he celebrates him. And, and the son is like, obviously going to be super confused, but kind of really excited at the same time. I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't know how that would feel. My mom and dad are also here tonight. Um, love you guys. You're amazing. And um, I, I never had this kind of experience, but I would imagine, um, or at least I didn't think so, and if I did, then please don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> but I would imagine that's a huge combination of confusion and, and joy. Like, how do I deserve this? Slash, I'm going to take advantage of it, because they can't take it away once they've said they're going to give it to me. And so this son gets welcomed home, and we've always concentrated on the first son. We've always talked about the first son, but the other son that we don't talk about, the other son which we don't talk about, he's still at home and he's never done anything wrong. He's never been the bad one. He's always gone to church. Hello. And he, he's waiting and he, and he hears the music and he goes to his father and he says, what's going on? He says, your brother's come home. I'm so pleased. He was once dead and now he's alive. He was once lost and now he's found. Yes, amen. And you know, the brother couldn't celebrate and we don't know whether he went to the party or not. But essentially what had happened was there was the first son who took his inheritance and squandered it. And there was the second son who had all of the inheritance in the world and also did nothing. And my thing that I think that we need to start to understand as the body of Christ is this, that there's too many of us with second son syndrome. And what I mean by that is not that we refuse to celebrate people coming into the kingdom. What I mean by that is there's too many of us not taking advantage of the full inheritance which the Father has already given to us. Because the Father says in that story, he says, everything that you, everything that you want, I've already got. Because the son asked him, why are, you get, why are you killing the fattened calf when you never even gave me a goat for me and my friends? And he's like, what are you talking about? It was always yours anyway. And when we talk about sonship, when we talk about being a child of God, I'm asking myself and I'm asking you to also introspect and ask yourself if he's given you, the Bible says, I don't know if you actually know this, in the book of Ephesians it says that he's given you every spiritual blessing, not some, not just a few. He's given you every spiritual blessing. I'm just asking myself, ask yourself with me, are we the second son? Or can we say we're taking advantage of every spiritual blessing that the father wants to give to his children because he's a good father? Amen? Because here's the thing. The first son, as he came back, he carried at least a little bit of hope. The second son, the one who was at home, he, he was just carrying a poverty mentality and an orphan spirit. I don't have anything. The world is against me. My brother's come back. No one's celebrating me. Woe is me. And the father's like, what are you, what are you talking about? It was always yours. But the thing that, the thing that I find is, and I'm, I, w- I want to bring this into context for us now, is 
Um, you'll, you'll read in the book of Luke in, in chapter 10 that Jesus sends his disciples out and he says to them, go and take nothing with you, but when you enter into a house, declare peace in that house and it will go and rest on sons and daughters of peace. If there's no sons and daughters of peace there, then it will return to you and you can just shake your dust off your feet and you can be on your way. What Jesus is really saying is what you carry, you create with. He blessed them with peace, so therefore they were able to go and create an atmosphere of peace. And so what I'm saying is, when sons and daughters have an understanding of their inheritance and have an understanding of what they carry, we can go and share that thing. So the reality is, if we're not sharing it, it's because we're not carrying it. Which is actually quite a scary thought. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you thought, you know, I've read my Bible, and I'm pretty sure what just happened shouldn't have happened. I'm pretty sure it should have happened in a different way, because what I thought Jesus might do, I, it didn't happen, and I expected something else. Has anyone ever experienced that? I mean, I have that all the time. Um, all, all I'm saying is, there's, there's a certain amount which we do carry, and there's a certain amount which we don't carry, um, but what we are carrying, I'm, I'm just not convinced that as the church, I'm not convinced that we've learned to carry the true substance of the kingdom so that the kingdom can be shared and advance. And so the question is, what, what could we be carrying and what are the things that could be holding us back? Because the opposite of acceptance, which is actually what adoption is, the spirit of adoption is an acceptance into a family which actually we, we wouldn't have been welcome to unless Jesus had done what Jesus did. But it's, a, it's an acceptance. So what's actually the opposite of acceptance is rejection. And, and, and my experience, in my limited experience, but it is my experience, um, is that too many of us are carrying a spirit of rejection because what happens when we carry a spirit of rejection, we feel ashamed. And when we feel ashamed, we blame someone else. How many of us feel like we have to justify ourselves when things go wrong? And it's easier to rather say, no, but they did that. I mean, if you want a biblical example, it's in Genesis. Adam and Eve sin. God goes looking for them. Where are you? What have you done? What does Adam say? She told me to eat the apple. Or she told me to eat from the tree. Why? Because when we feel rejected, when we're scared, that leads to shame. And shame happens because we are in fear of something. Adam and Eve hid from God because they were fearful of what would happen to them. You know what I love about God? The, 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 the first thing that he asked after they'd sinned is he said, where are he went looking for them. And so I just want to say that as, we, as you journey as a church body, it's okay not to be okay. It really is. It's really okay not to be okay. I've spent the last six months realizing that I can't do what I'm called to do, and that's okay. Because it doesn't change the fact that God chose me to do it. It means that I couldn't choose myself to do it, which is really good news. So this thing about this rejection that we can so often carry is that, let, let's just use a, a few practical examples to help us really understand that if, if something goes wrong, 
If you get a temptation to blame someone else, then you're carrying a spirit of rejection. If you are found out for something and you're not able to own up and, and, and um, that someone says, when you mess up, you need to fess up. If you're not actually able to take full responsibility for the full choice that you made because you feel ashamed inside and you feel like you fear a consequence of what it is that you've done, what you are afraid of is actually being rejected. But what I want to say is that as the children of God, we may make mistakes and fear rejection from other people. But I want to say, as children of God, we will never be rejected by our Father in heaven. And that is what defines us, not anything else. Powerful, powerful scripture, Matthew three seventeen. It's Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes underneath the water and comes up. And as he comes up, the clouds part or the heavens open. Yeah, I, 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 I try and imagine this. I'm still not there. But the heavens open and a voice bellows down as a, what looks like a dove comes and rests on Jesus. He says, this is my son who I love and with him I am well pleased. You know, Jesus hadn't done any good things before that point. Did you know? Especially, I've talked about the performance culture in, in the church this morning. Um, please do go and listen to it because it will help contextualize this. But did you know that before you wake up in the morning and before you've had your quiet time, by the way, I don't know why we have to call it quiet. It can be loud too. It's not bad to be quiet, but it doesn't mean it's wrong to be loud. Before you have your God time or whatever, whatever Christianese we want to put on it, before you do that, he's pleased with you and he loves you. And like I said this morning, God doesn't just love you, he likes you too. And God celebrates you. We just heard it in Zephaniah. He rejoices over us with singing. And if only we learn to be defined by the things of what God and heaven is saying about us rather than what we think because of what the world has taught us. That's how we're going to change the world. When we really start to believe what God says about us rather than what we've received, because you receive rejection. You receive rejection when, when you, you take it on. But here's Jesus coming out of the water, having done nothing. Or I imagine he was a pretty good carpenter, because, I mean, you can't be fully God and fully human and not be good at carpenting. So I'd imagine he was pretty good at that. But I'm saying in terms of ministry, like no one had raised from the dead yet. No, no water to wine yet. No blind eyes seeing yet. And yet here's this man as a 30-year-old getting pulled up out of the water by some weirdo who eats locusts and, and honey, who no one really gets. And this voice comes and says, this is my son, whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. You know what I've taken from those three things? And I sat with a friend who studied psychology the other day and she said, you know what, you've hit the nail on the head here because all of psychologists are looking to be able to answer these three questions. God says, this is my son. That's your identity. Whom I love is your acceptance and with him I'm well pleased is your affirmation. 
Your identity, your acceptance, and your affirmation is all wrapped up in what Father says about you, and it doesn't matter what the world says about you, as long as you can settle with those three things. You will not carry rejection. You will carry the true spirit of adoption. This is my son, daughter, whom I love, and with him, I am really well pleased. You know when you're born, you get a birth certificate, right? You get a birth certificate when you're born, um, and that tells the world that you exist. Just imagine that when you were born again, the Father and His voice echoes into eternity, this is my son. Here is your birth certificate in the kingdom of God. And too many of us live like the birth certificate has been thrown away. Then he says, whom I love. Oh, by the way, just to let you know, you go from a birth certificate to a passport. That means that you're not just a baby anymore. In your sonship, you also grow up. And you take on different responsibilities. You go from being a baby in the house and your mess is everywhere to growing up and up and up. Then you can manage yourself and then you can actually manage other people. You know, it's the same in the kingdom and sonship. This progression is actually seven different stages and different words of son in scripture. And it starts with being a baby, napios, the Greek word nepios, where you get nappies from. That's, the, that's what you get born again as a napios. And then you make it all the way through. I think it's to a technon. I'm not sure. But you go all the way through. There's seven different stages. You can do a word study on it. Google it. There's quite a bit about it. But you go and you you end up with a passport, right? And when you've got a passport, you're a citizen of a country and it means that you can travel anywhere and everyone's going to know where you're from. How many of you know that when you got born again, you were born again as a, a citizen of heaven? I don't know if you know that. It actually says that in the Bible. You're a citizen of heaven. It means that you're a resident alien. That's what the Old Testament translation is of the people of God, is resident aliens. Now, it doesn't mean that one day when everything gets better, we're going to all go to heaven. No, no, no. Heaven's going to be reestablished on earth. But our job in the meantime is to bring what we know is our true home to our current home now. But we're not going to do that with a rejected spirit. We're only going to do that when we truly understand who we are and whose we are. So we need to kick this spirit of rejection in the backside. He says that we're loved where we get our acceptance from. There are many of us who've been, even, you might not be in the context of South Africa, but you might have grown up with mothering mothering or fathering issues or family issues where you can also receive a spirit of rejection from. We, unfortunately, have to deal with the reality of our kids being rejected by families or our kids being being placed in, in certain situations in their lives where actually rejection has just been all that they had a choice to take on because they've never seen anything different modeled. We have to work through our father issues. We have to work through our fathering issues. And if we have had father issues, it's not a bad thing to face those things, to find acceptance from your father in heaven. I'm not saying that that makes everything okay and everything is fine, that if you didn't have a good relationship with your earthly father, I'm not saying that makes everything okay. But what I am saying is God is the God of all compassion. And he's in the ministry of reconciliation. 
And he's in the ministry of making all things new. And we need, if there's anyone in the world who can be brave enough. You know, it says in, in Matthew, it says, Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The word comfort actually means to be made brave. So when you're mourning something like a father issue, the Bible doesn't just say that you'll be comforted. Oh, shame. Pat's on the back. What it actually says is God will enable you with power and, and actually bravery to walk out everything that you've been called to, which for me is an amazing thing. And with him, I'm well pleased. Your affirmation. You know, God celebrates you. I don't know if you've ever done this. Sit down, ask him, Father, what do you think about me? And if a negative thought comes into your head, then you know it's the devil, you need to. But any good word that comes into your head, write it down, celebrate it, because it's the truth of what the Father says about you. You know what I did with, with a girl at the start of the year who was on the village? She is turning 17 this year, and she's like a daughter. My, myself and my wife, we really, really love her. She's amazing. She's an absolute character. She actually sang in the choir tour who came here a couple of years ago. And she said to me, you know what, coach? I really want, that's what they call me on the village, just in case you didn't know. Um, you know what, coach? I really want to do well in school this year because I really want to achieve this. But I, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I've tried my hardest in school and I promise you, I've been working really hard. What do I do? I said to her, I want you to go away and I want you to look in the Bible and I want you to ask God what he thinks about you and how he sees you. I want you to write down every single thing that you can think. I want you to put it on your mirror and every day before you leave for school, I want you to say those truths about you of what God sees you as and how heaven celebrates you. And you know what? In her latest exam, she did better than she's ever done in her life. All because she was affirmed, she was accepted, she understood that she was celebrated by her Father in heaven. And she started to think that way too. How long have we got? Okay, great. I've got 10 minutes. Great. Because the truth is, and, here, and if you don't really hear much else from me, you can take this one. You either live for something or you live from something. You either live for your acceptance or you live from acceptance. You either live for your identity or from your identity. You either live for affirmation or from affirmation. And the reality is, when you're living a life as a son and daughter, you will live from that place. You will not live for it because it's already been spoken about you. It's just yours to discover in your relationship with God as a father. But I see too many of us, and that's where performance comes in. That's where the orphan spirit comes in. It's where the... All of these negative things, they come in when we start to live for something rather than from it. It's like I said to you this morning, like I said, most of you are probably not there. I said, there's no point in trying to aspire to a culture which actually doesn't exist because God's made you the standard. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I may be called the righteousness of God. That means everything that's in right standing with God is what we are defined by. And we are in right standing with God and we're in right standing with each other. We just need to go and learn to live that. If we can start to live from what God says about us, not for what we think a culture will accept us by or what we think our colleagues would, um, would like us more by or what our friends in school may like us more by, if we can start to live from the place of knowing, you know what, my Father in heaven says this about me and that settles it. If we can do that, I promise you this city will never be the same again. 
even with the amount of people in this room, we could cut it down to 12 because Jesus started with them. Well, he restarted with 11 and then one got nominated, but you understand what I'm saying. Is that if 12 of us in this room, if we got it, and we waited on God knowing who we are and whose we are, we could walk into this city and turn it upside down. When I say, what, like, sons and daughters, Worcester is literally waiting for you to arise, shine, get off your backsides and extend the kingdom. And the more that I look around the world, there was a protest here yesterday. You guys have seen the reputation that South Africa has for protest. We had a riot on the village a year ago. We see how this stuff works out. People need to see light. You know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You know, he then said that you are the light of the world. Did you know that? So let's shine. Let's shine. Why are we holding back or acting like we're a dim glow? No. You know, the purpose of light is to actually illuminate the things that... Uh, so you, a light shines. It's not so that you can look into the light. The light is not there so that I can look into it. The light is there so I can actually see what's here. And the more of us that are shining, the more that people are going to see truth and reality for what it really is. And the more that we are able to shine, the more solutions we're going to be able to bring and actually bring reconciliation. Because the Bible says that we're all in the ministry of reconciliation. I also don't know if you know that. Did you know your ministers of reconciliation? How many of you were wanting to go into the ministry one day? You're already in it. We might not be the best, but we are in it, nevertheless. The ministry of reconciliation was given to everyone. What is reconciling? Bringing what is not good and what is good and bringing it and making it whole. Whatever was broken, making it right. Of his peace and government, there will be no end. Peace is wholeness, completion, and healing. That's what we're called to bring. We're called to bring that. Heaven on earth. It's not some like pie in the sky. Let's just, let's just talk about it because it sounds like we're really spiritual. No, 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 no. The Bible says that what we cannot see is more real than what we can see. So as sure as this is here. And you heard it, you know it's true. What we cannot see is more real than that. I just want to share um, something with you, uh, a story of mine that actually happened only a few months ago. Um, because I didn't realize that I was living with a rejected spirit around something and, and, um, and God showed me and it was really awesome. <laughs> um, but it was because I got to the point where, you know, when he was showing me my brokenness, I was like, you know what, you are so kind. You are so kind that you'd actually take the time to show little me in my place where it is that I'm not living in the fullness of life so that I can actually go and start to learn to do it. He is so kind, guys, but we've got it wrong. We've got it wrong because we don't think that he's that kind. We think he's good sometimes, but he's good all the time and he's kind all the time. And it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So um, we, we had a, a meeting and um, I said some stuff which came across in a way which I really would not have wanted to come across to someone else. And I didn't realize how much I'd hurt the people. And, um, and they came and shared it with me a couple of days later. And they basically said some stuff which I, start, I took rejection and I started to carry it. 
And I felt, you know, when you get that sick feeling in your stomach, I started to feel sick and I was walking around for literally two, three days just feeling sick because I was carrying this rejection that they hadn't actually rejected me, but the behavior that I had done, I couldn't forgive myself and so I was carrying it. Make sense? So we're bathing the kids two nights or three nights later and as we're bathing the kids, uh, we got lots of mosquitoes on the village. So I went, um, it's five o'clock, I need to go close the window. So I walked out. And I was thinking, I was like, oh my goodness, I feel terrible about this still, and what am I gonna do? And um, I thought, hey, I know. Because these people don't see me as a humble person, which is really what the problem was, I was trying to perform to a culture that didn't exist. If I, if I can show these people that I'm humble, everything will be okay. So I said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go to my office every night, and I'm gonna bring this before God, and I'm gonna ask him to heal me and make me humble so that when these people come back from their break, they're gonna know that I am humble. And God says, yeah, you can, this is his answer, he says, yeah, you can, you can bring this to me and I'll, I'll, I'll restore you. And I was like, yeah. And then I walked across the other side of the house and I was like, because then when they do come back, they will see me as that. And he said, yeah, how kind is God? He said, yeah, you can do it because of that or you can do it because that's how I see you. I see you as humble and it doesn't really matter what they think. Amazing, right? Not, a, not an easy thing to receive in that moment, but so loving and so beautiful, so kind, so gentle. And, um, and in that moment, I already knew that I was accepted, so I didn't need to carry rejection anymore. And I promise you, from that moment, I literally, something changed in me, and I walked in a different kind of way. I wasn't carrying rejection anymore because I knew that I was already accepted. I knew that was how God saw me. It doesn't matter whether someone else sees me as humble or not. If God says that I'm humble, it doesn't actually matter what anyone else thinks. I want to end with this. In the book of John, let's read it. John 15. I'm just going to read a, a few verses for you. Jesus says this, I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse 4 says this, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So you know when I first read that, I was like, remain in me and I will remain in you. I was like, ooh, I struggled with that, if I'm really honest, because it actually seems like it's a bit of a deal. Like if you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So if you choose to remain in me, then I'll remain in you. But if you choose not to remain in me, I'm not going to remain in you. And so I actually went and looked up what this really means. It's the word mino, and it actually means to know your place. So when, we, when you say abide or remain, it actually means to know where your place is. Jesus says, when you remember and know where you are really placed, which is in him, then he remains in you. Which is actually not a, uh, if you do this and I'll do that. It's not a contractual thing. It's actually a covenantal thing. It's actually like, when you remember who you are, I'm going to show you who you are. When you choose to walk in the fact that you're in me, I'm going to remind you of the fact that, yes, you are in me. It's not an acceptance rejection thing. It's just an acceptance thing. He's just calling them to remember, you know what? 
Any, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Our lives are now hidden in Christ. When you give your life to Jesus, I don't know if you know this, a bit weird, but the Bible says that your life is now hidden inside Him. You're already in Him. You're already remaining. The point is, He's trying to remind you, and He's trying to remind me, to let Him and us be in this place of knowing that we've been placed together and to never stray from that place because that's our new reality. And it might not always feel like that, but that's why Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He didn't say when you feel it. Because the feelings will follow the thinking. But the thinking, I don't know if you've realized this, the thinking doesn't always follow the feelings. That's why when we fall in love, we go all googly-eyed and we make silly choices. Right? Yeah? That's why we say, no, he's a good lad, he's got his head screwed on. You see what I'm saying? What we need to understand is this. Jesus has said to us, remain in me. Know you are placed in me because I know that I'm placed in you. And for me, for those of us who carry rejected spirits, that is the best news. You can smile. Headstands are on their way. If Jesus, okay, let me put it this way. If you can't get excited at this, then we're in real trouble. If Jesus who is the King of Kings, name above all names, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who everything was created through and everything is going to be reconciled by, if that guy says that you're in, then who tells you that you can be out? Okay, there we go. <laughs> I want to end off with something that God dropped in my spirit a couple of months ago. It might... Uh, it might tease your mind a little bit, but you'll, you'll get there. I think I'm getting there. It's this. Enjoy him enjoying you while he enjoys you enjoying him. Do you want me to say it again? Enjoy, oh goodness. <laughs> enjoy him enjoying you while he enjoys you enjoying him. If we can start to live like that, I'm pretty sure not only will our lives look a little bit different, but we'll also change the world. I think the world needs to hear this kind of stuff. That no matter what happens, I'm accepted by my Father. It says in Psalm 139, it says this, that he has more good thoughts about you and I than there is sand on the seashore. You know when you go to the beach and the sand gets dry on your legs and you think you've wiped it all off and then you get in the car and then you have to hoover your car twice the next week because the sand is still there and it's still in your shoes and it's still in your towel because you can't get away from the sand, what happens when the children of God can't get away from the good thoughts of the Father towards them? And that's what I'm charging you to do this summer. Many of you are going to be starting again in September. You're going to be taking breaks. You're going to be taking holidays. You're going to go away somewhere and you're going to come back. But come back renewed. Come back re-envisioned. Come back with the Father's affirmation over you in a different spirit to how you ended this year. Because the easiest thing when we're tired is to settle for another culture. But the reality is, I don't know if you know this, you are culture changers, you are culture shapers. And we speak about this all the time on Live for Change. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I believe that when the children of God understand who they are and whose they are and how to carry the atmosphere of heaven, I believe that we will change the nations. I really do. One city, one person, one street, one neighbor at a time, but I believe it's coming. Um, we're going to do communion now. 
And then if, uh, if I'm allowed to, um, I would love to just do a little bit of ministry with anyone who would like to be prayed for um, or to, yeah, to just receive something of the Father's love. I believe that there are some people here tonight, and I'm going to end now, I promise. Um, I believe that there are some people here tonight um, who have never experienced God's love as a father towards them, and I believe that tonight is your night. I believe he's going to do way more than we could. We just thought we were coming to church. No, we came to jump up and down, do church, and receive the Father's love. Why? Because we can. So, um, mate, you want to go for it. But thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being here. And, um, yeah, we'll uh, reconvene. Stay for a second. Let's okay. stand. And would you pray for all of us? Yeah. It seems um, completely fitting, actually, that we should be moving towards the family table. Yeah. This place of radical mm. acceptance, inclusion, invitation of grace. Mm. Um, place of belonging. And so... Um, so it's coming together well. But would you pray for us? And then what, how it's going to work is we're gonna, we've got the you know, official words that, that frame this, this moment that we will work our, pray our way through. Um, there'll be two places to receive bread and the wine. And then uh, the invitation uh, is, um, if you value this, um, is to, after you've received the bread and the wine, make your way up over to this end. And Andy... Um, Jonathan and a few others will be available to pray uh, with you. And you might have thought that this, this stuff, this, this bread and wine stuff, isn't for you, that you're not part of this thing, you're just on the edge observing tonight. Here's the thing, if you've heard anything tonight, the invitation, the acceptance is for you. Mm. This adoption is generously put on the table. There's space at this table for you. And so you might not have come intending to kind of join in in this way to open your life up like this. But can I just from the bottom of my heart encourage you um, that you're welcome. Um, and, um, and you might not understand everything, none of us do. Uh, but you're welcome to come and, and be a part of, of this moment. It's just your simple yes before God. And so um, you don't need a special certificate or anything like that. You can come and you can receive and, and if that is you, I'd strongly recommend following through and, and having someone to talk about that. If that's a sort of new step for you or if it's been an awful long time, um, come and talk to us about that. Have someone pray with you. Um, but pray for all of us as we, we move around the family table. Should we grab a hand? Thank you. That means, that means we can hold hands. <laughs> So Heavenly Father, we say thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being called into your family. Thank you for the privilege of being called around your table. And tonight as we, as we gather together, we choose to come and sit around your table and feast on your great grace. Jesus, we thank you for your body which was broken for us and your blood which was shed for us so that we could come back to our Father in heaven who loves us that he who knew no sin became sin, that we may be called the righteousness of God. No, we didn't deserve it. You've called us qualified. You've called us redeemed. You've called us reconciled. You've called us accepted and not rejected. And you showed us by becoming flesh, living the perfect life, 
and going to that cross so that we may be set free. And you say in your word that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's not just in our thinking, it's also in our doing. So as we renew our covenant with you again tonight, Heavenly Father, as we remember Jesus and Holy Spirit, we remember you too. Would you come and would you move in our midst and would you do something beautiful in our hearts that may echo into the, into the, into the, into the streets and every crevice of this city to say that Jesus is our King and he's alive and well and we follow him with his children and he speaks to us. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. We love you so much and we count it a privilege to call you Father, Friend, Saviour, Redeemer, our all in all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Very tempted to get you to jump up and down just because I, I was looking around and I couldn't see Johnny Gordon. I was like really wanting to see whether he was 